Welcome everyone to the Purposely Thriving Podcast, where we are growing, evolving, and becoming into our highest self in every area of our lives so that we are able to live authentically and whole as we step into a new chapter. I am your host, Tanya Carter, and thank you for joining and tuning in with me this week. Okay, so here's what I want you all to do who's listening right now. I want you to take a moment and ask yourself this question. When it comes to how I've done relationships, would I want my child to experience what I could have prevented had I had the knowledge and the tools as well as the love? And I think it's safe to say, nah, we, you know, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want them to experience what I've experienced. And even in knowing that, because I know we say that, The question becomes, are we consciously preparing our kids by engaging in authentic conversations around relationships, by creating a safe space for them to trust and confiding with you, pouring into them in a way that reassures them of their self-worth as well as their self-value that strengthens their self-confidence and self-esteem, as well as being the example by navigating relationships intelligently so that they can have a blueprint on doing the exact same thing. And when it comes to how we do relationships in terms of how we show up, to how we communicate, to even what we accept, it starts very early in our youth. And that can also set the stage for any future relationships. February is known as Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. And I was doing some research online and according to the CDC's Youth Risk Behavior Survey back in 2019, the data that they reported in terms of high school students who reported dating during the 12 months before the survey, it indicated that one in 12 experienced physical dating violence as well as one in 12 experienced sexual dating violence. And I also looked at dosomething.org, which is a nonprofit organization, which is exclusively for young people. And this is what they said. They said that violent behavior often begins between the sixth and the 12th grade. Isn't that some? And only a third of those teens who are involved in an abusive relationship confide in someone about the violence. And the consequences of these unhealthy dynamics that our children experience creates impacts of depression, anxiety. They engage in other unhealthy behaviors like drugs and alcohol. Um, They deal with antisocial behaviors such as lying, stealing, bullying, to even violence. Um, They become very promiscuous. They, They could actually even drop out of high school and even have thoughts of attempting to commit suicide. Not to mention that it also impacts how they manage relationships in college and their adulthood. And what I wanted to do today is that I wanted to bring some awareness to this because our children really are the future. And I know we've heard that song a lot, but it really is indeed a fact. And as parents, as guardians, as teachers, and even as people of the community, I believe that when we come together collectively to provide the mental and emotional support as well as love to our kids, just imagine how that will set them up long-term relationally 
in their personal and professional lives. And so I wanted to bring a guest on to have this conversation um, about teen dating violence awareness and what we can do to um, help our children. And so my guest today is Miss Sandra Golden. Okay, Sandra is a mother-daughter coach who teaches mothers how to build strong bonds with their daughters through effective communication. She's also an abuse survivor and the author of the book, Make It Stop, A Young Woman's Guide to Overcome or Prevent Dating Abuse. And she's also a speaker. She holds a bachelor's of science degree in nursing with a minor in psychology. And she is also a legal nurse consultant and currently works as a corporate clinical nurse consultant for a home care provider. And so without further ado, Sandra, I am so glad you came today and I appreciate you being on the podcast to talk about this. Welcome. Thank you so much for, for having me. Uh, this is one of the topics I love talking about to make people aware because so many parents uh, don't even realize how big an issue it is. Right. And I, I wanted to talk about this because um, as I think about people that I work with, as I listen to what therapists say about in terms of, you know, what, where a lot of our behaviors come from, it stems from childhood. And so we can't eliminate teen dating, right? That's a real thing, even though we may think, oh, it's puppy love, you'll get over it, whatever. It's a, you know, it, it's real, you know, even going back when I was 15, I thought about the guy that I really liked, thought he was my boo, we gonna last forever. <laughs> and, you know, that's just where you are at your age, right? So Absolutely. I want to, I want to kind of, talk about this because I know this is what you do. You've wrote a book on it and you've also experienced it yourself. And so I wanted to give a little, I wanted you to give a little background about um, your experience with um, teen dating violence. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I lived, you know, a lot of people think that abuse happens in households that uh, are single parents. Uh, are there some alcohol or drug abuse? And that wasn't the case with me. I had two parents, uh, never saw them fight, uh, never saw any type of abuse in my home. They were not alcoholics. Um, they were not drug addicts. Actually, we went to church all the time. People thought my dad was a deacon or a pastor, I guess, because we stayed in church so much, but mm -hmm. he was neither. But there were things that were missing for me in my home life. My parents were not touchy-feely people, even though I knew that they loved me because they provided for me. They did things for me. I had a roof over my head. I had clothing. I didn't get the hugs. I didn't get a lot of the validations. I did not hear the words often, I love you. Mm -hmm. So I was searching for that. And so like you say, you're... 15, 16 year old, and this guy walks up to you and he's like, Oh, you know, you're the bomb.com. You know, you fine. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I like you. And they're doing all the right things and they're saying all the things that you want to hear that you don't hear on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. Uh, and it's no fault of my parents because I'm sure they raised me from the experiences that they had when they were growing up. And so, when I got into the relationship, everything was great. It was great. And then all of a sudden, you say that one thing wrong, you do that one thing wrong, and then you're hit, you're slapped. Uh, I was 
downgrade it, you know, don't nobody want you but me, you know. But then in the next sentence, it's, I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. Mm -hmm. And even though in your mind, you're thinking, I don't want anybody else to hit me. You know, I know I'm not supposed to be hit by people. And so you think I can change this person. And you really, you have to get to a point where I got to a point where I realized I can't change him. It's not him. And it's, you know, it's not me rather, it's him and that he needs to help. But you have to have that defining moment. And that defining moment is different for everybody. For me, it was the birth of my daughter. And how old um, were you when you had your daughter? I was 17. Wow. So you were 17, um, you know, giving birth to a daughter and that, that changed everything for you in terms of your treatment and how did that, like, what was that shift in terms of saying, I'm a mom now? What did, what did that look like for you mentally? Even though uh, my daughter's biological father beat me I still had in my mind when she was born we're going to be a family we're going Mm. to have this nice family you know maybe now you know he sees that we have this child together uh the hitting the beating the uh you're no good and all of that would stop and it wasn't until we went to take my daughter to visit an aunt of his and She said something about him. She was like, you know, you know, she made some remark and I burst out laughing because in my mind, I'm like, oh, you are so right. You are so right. Mm -hmm. And when I got in the car, I had her in my lap because you didn't necessarily have to have kids in car seats then. So I had her in my lap. And when we got in the car, we were about a block from his aunt house. And he just took his hand and hit me and said, you never laugh when somebody's talking about me. And he missed my daughter by inches. And at that point, I sat there crying, holding her, cuddling her and thinking, what would have happened or what harm would she had endured if that look had met her? Right. And so when I got back home. How old was your daughter at the time? She was about, she was about two or three months. She was not that old at all. She was about two or three months. And at that point, I made a decision that, no, mm -mm, I can't do this. I I cannot let her go through what I went through. Uh, At that point, for me, it was not about having a family. Uh, It was about protecting my daughter and doing what I needed to do. Uh, So once I got home, I didn't say anything to him. I didn't want him to, uh, because I was still living at home with my parents. I didn't want him to do anything else. So I just, you know, I sat there, cried, got to my house, got in the house. And when he called the next time, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I said, you came too close to harming uh, my baby. I say, and that's it. I say, I won't prevent you from seeing her. I say, but it has to be at my parents' home. We will not get in a vehicle with you. We will not go anywhere with you and you cannot have her independently. It has to be in my parents' home. And And you stuck. I stuck to it. And you stuck to your word from that day forward. You Mm -hmm. you was like, this is a done deal. And so let's kind of talk about, you know, that turning point. 
Okay. So even though you, you left, which is number one, I think is always the most commendable and courageous thing to do. Right. Um, we, but we also have that. I cannot repeat what I just walked away from, you know what I mean? And so what, what, um, what did you have to do to make sure that you didn't repeat that same cycle? or that same situation? I had to start looking deep within me. Mm -hmm. Why did I allow it to happen? Because I had walked away several times and gone back. Right. And so I had to think about how is this time going to be different? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in my mind, I'm like, is he going to say something? And then I'm going to be okay. But for me, And I I tell my daughter this all the time. I believe God gave me you. I think God puts things in your pathway. You just have to recognize it. And for me, I believe that she was my saving grace. She was what was placed in my life to get me out of that situation and to stay. It was no longer about just me, but it was about her. And me not wanting her to have to endure what I went through. Mm, And I needed to find a way to stay firm to my decision. Because at this point, nobody knew that I had been abused. My parents did not know. Mm. I hid bruises. I hid scars. Uh, None of my friends that I had, because he sort of isolated me from a lot of them. So I really didn't have anybody I could really confide in. And that's what they do a lot of times. Uh, They isolate you. So I had to do it myself and I didn't want anybody to to find out because I was embarrassed. You know, how could I let this happen to me? But I was determined that I had to stay strong. And I guess that's where my faith kicked in a little bit more because I had been brought, I brought, I was brought up in the church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like, God, you got to help me with this. I, 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 I cannot go back. I cannot put my child in any time I had the notion that I may have wanted to go back. I, all I had to do was just look at her and know, I cannot let you experience this. I cannot. Mm-hmm. So your daughter was your deeper why. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were you all together? Uh, we were together off and on for about a year and a half to two years. Right. Wow. That's, um, that's good. Now I kind of want to turn this into, I want to kind of go into, um, teen dating because I know a lot of people who listen now, they may have teens, they may have preteens, um, or even children in college. Um, and my question is, Cause you mentioned something about, you didn't tell your parents, you didn't tell nobody. Like you kept this like on the, on the, on the low, on the hush, hush. And, and my question is this, because maybe a lot of parents don't even know that this is what their child is going through. Right. Um, Why do you think many teens don't talk about it? Why do you think that they don't report this? Why do you think most importantly, they don't even tell their parents? I believe that it's because there's, we have relationships. I mean, you have relationships with everybody, but it's that bond. I had a relationship with my mom. My mom had told me, you can come to me and tell me anything, but I didn't feel as though that was something I could tell her because there were things that I did tell her 
it was the way she reacted. I mean, it was mm. blown all out of proportion. A lot of times I'm the blame for it, you know, or, you know, and parents, I don't think we cognitive think about it. The first thing is that was such a stupid thing for you to do. And so now I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know any better, you know? And I think we have to get into this point where we have to find other ways to communicate to our, our, our kids. For me, I never wanted my child to feel as though, uh, a decision was stupid, a question was stupid. Uh, and we tell adults all the time when we're in these uh, classes or programs or workshops, oh, ask your questions. There's never a stupid question, but that's not how we treat our daughters. When yeah. they ask us something that we think is stupid because we think they should know about it or they should know better, we say, that's a stupid question. Well, why? Did we right. teach them that? Did we give them the information or did they understand it or were they able to process it? And a lot of times it's no. And, you know, as a mother, I, I took a lot from a lot of people I know because of the way I raised my daughters and how I was with them. And they felt comfortable. I knew the first time they had sex. I even knew when they were thinking about it because when they were like, I'm really liking boys and I'm getting these feelings and we, okay, let's have a discussion about these feelings you're having. Mm -hmm. And you're not, if you want to have sex, I prefer you don't, but if you want to have sex, I want to know because I want to prepare you. If we need to go get birth control pills, we're going to go get birth control pills. And I had a friend who works at an infectious disease clinic. And so I would tell her, you know, bring me some of them condoms you have. And I had condoms in my drawer and it was like when they started dating here, they need to put on this raincoat, even if they were on birth control, you know, it's not 100%. So I, I need you to be safe. Mm, and those are the conversations that most parents just want to avoid because it's the right. imagining of what that looks like. Or I would even say how I grew up, it was just don't bring no babies home. That was, exactly. you know, that was, that was the conversation. It was like, don't oh, bring no okay. babies up like, that was, you're going to take it, care of them, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it, they're, I think a lot of times it's that they're not comfortable because they don't mm. know the questions that their daughters are going to ask. And mm. my thing is, let it be a learning experience for you both. If they ask you those type questions, huh, I really don't know. Let's go look it up. Mm. I had a thing with my daughters, you know, how they come to you, uh, mama, what does this mean? And you tell them what it means. Then maybe two months down the line, mama, what does this mean? Well, I just told you what it meant two months ago. You don't know. So for me, what I did was I was like, go look it up and then let's discuss what you found out about it. Mm. They wow. were able to process it better when they looked it up. Because they would come to me with questions and we talk about it. And therefore that helped them to keep that and retain that information instead of me just always giving it. I felt I needed to guide them because I did not want them to feel that I was making them do something, but I also did not want to be their crutch because I needed them to get to a point where they were self-sufficient. They were able to pick up these things, but they had to be able to remember it and not depend that I was going to always be there to help them get it. Mm, that, that's good. And how old are your daughters now? My oldest is 41 and the baby girl is 26. Wow. And so when, how old were your daughters when they were like going into that place of, 
thinking about dating? Because it seems like you all pretty much had a, a good open communication and you created that safe space. How old were um, were your daughters when they maybe started having interest and, and wanting a date and all those things? Erica was the oldest. She was around 14 or 15. Mm. Uh, she was skipped. She started school early and then she skipped a grade. So she was always around older people uh, as far as teens. So, you know, she's in the fifth grade and in the fifth grade, she's like uh, eight and a half, nine years old and everybody else is 11 and 12. So, you know, mm-hmm. that was a whole different thing, you know, because she came home at 10 years old one time. It was like, mom, what's jack off? And I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, they, and that's yeah. exactly how I had to do it. Cause I didn't want her to know she shot me. It's like, oh, hmm, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And uh, not to mention that with social media, social yeah. media exposes so much now is yeah. And just think, you know, you know, and back then you didn't have social media, you didn't have all of this. So for me, it was like, okay, where, you know, where did you hear that from? And I'm like, okay. And the other thing I think we, as mothers, we think we've got to answer it right then and there. But sometimes you've got to process it yourself in order to help them. So for me, when she came home and asked me that, and it was like, hmm, hmm, where did you hear that from? And when she told me, you know, it was some girls at school talking and da, 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 da. And I said, well, I know what it is. I say, but for me to be able to tell it to you where you understand it, I need a minute to get my thoughts together. So I told her, I says, you go do da 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 and give me about 30 minutes and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. And in that 30 minutes, after the first five minutes of going in my room going, what the hell am I going to tell this girl about this? You know, right. you know, because I had to process right. Yeah. Seriously. You know, and so in 30 minutes, I called her in and we sat down and we, we talked about it. We openly mm. talked about it. And after that conversation, she was all like, I'm never going to have sex. And I was like, okay, hey. You know, I said, I'm sure you'll change your mind. She says, no, I'm never going to change my mind. I was like, okay. Now Um, for my baby girl, she was different. She was more quiet, uh, more reserved. Uh, She never really dated in high school. I mean, she had guy friends or whatever, but it was never to the point where I want to date. Oh, he's just a friend. Mm -mm. No, he's too stupid. He can't even hold a conversation, mama, (laughs) you know, so... She didn't actually start dating seriously until probably her sophomore year in college. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, was like, Sandra, why don't you encourage? No, it has to be at her pace, not my pace. It's not what society thinks. It's not what the average team does. It's what is best for her. And I think I'm sorry. Peer pressure pressure plays a lot into that. I'm not Mm going to push you because you're 15 to go out. Now, I did want her to go out with friends because I wanted her to socialize and experience certain things. But as far as the dating, it had to be when she was ready. No, I love that. And that kind of goes into what I was going to ask in terms of um, the the whole peer pressure piece um, in, in terms of dating. I know my daughter and I just started talking about dating last year. I felt the urge to ask, you know, I asked, are you ready to date? And she told me, yes. And um, we had a conversation and I I told her right now, um, you know, 
we're going to hold off on dating. However, we're going to have conversations about, you know, boys and all these different things because, and I told her why it wasn't because I didn't trust her. I just needed to make sure that her esteem and confidence was in a good place and not feel pressured to date, which is kind of like what I wanted to talk about. Cause when I looked at the stats to say that between the sixth grade, I'm thinking sixth grade, that is so young. And so what age do you think just based upon your experience, um, your personal and professional experience of working with people, what do you think is a good age to for for a child to start dating? I commend you for telling your daughter, I don't think you're ready. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't have conversations with your daughter on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. When you ask people or when kids ask people, can I date? The magic number is 16. And I'm still trying to find out what's so magical. Is it because they can drive at that point? I think it's the whole sweet 16 thing. I don't know, but yeah, it does seem that way. For me, it depends on each child. I don't think there's a magic age and I don't think we should give an age to our daughters because it depends on them. It depends on their maturity level. Mm. It depends on do they have, like you said, self-esteem. Do they believe in themselves? Do they have boundaries? Do they know how to set those boundaries of things that this is what I like? This is what I don't like. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. The This is where you cross the line with me. But then if that's where they cross the line with you and your boundary that you establish, then how are you going to react? How are you going to handle it? If they don't want to be bothered with you anymore, are you going to go ahead and say, oh, well, I'll let it slide this time because they have to realize that if you let it slide, it's going to happen again. You're setting yourself up for it to happen again. So it all comes back to those conversations you have with your daughter. And that's the reason why I knew my baby girl, like you, she wasn't ready to date in, in high school. So it didn't bother me. We had those conversations and, you know, she was like, I'm not, I don't, I don't want a boyfriend. I even had people to ask me and it was people at my church that I used to go to. Asked me, was she gay? Because she never brought guys to church with her like the other people did. And I was like, she's not gay but that has just nothing because to she do doesn't bring a guy exactly just that has nothing to do guy, with anything right I say, church, I say let me tell you something the only reason those little boys are coming to church with y'all I say it's because they want y'all to think that they're a good boy they're they're doing what you want them to do in your eyesight but what are they doing when they're not in your eyesight that don't mean nothing to me I don't understand why people go there whatever I mean it's okay listen I you know it's it's what it is but I I think that was good in terms of maturity in terms of do they know their boundaries are they clear on what a healthy relationship should look like and what it should consist of and I think that's really really important and so um what are some of the beginning signs that teens should look out for because I think there's this thing of believing that it has to be so physical to be considered abuse, which is one, but then you also may have those micro um, signs to pay attention to that could be small, that are small, but then so many of them becomes macro. And so 
what are some of those signs um, and how can a parent help teens pay attention to those small things? Because I believe it kind of goes hand in hand, like what can teens look out for, but then how can we help our teens be attentive to that? Some of the things were they, when you're with your friends, they want to isolate you a lot of times. So they might say, do you have to always hang out with them? Or I just want it to be you and me. Well, you know, girls in high school, we like to hang in groups. So why don't you come with us? No, I don't want to come with y'all. I want y'all to come with me because one thing I learned, girlfriends will pick up on things. They see things that you don't see. Uh, so it's always good to be in a pack. And if that guy is trying to prevent you from being with your friends all the time, using the preface, I just want it to be me and you, that's an isolation tactic. They're trying to move you away. Or if they're trying to instigate uh, problems between you and your friend, uh, saying that they said something or they just, especially if one of your girlfriends may not have a boyfriend, oh, they're just upset because you don't, you've got a boyfriend and they don't. I was never upset because my friends had a boyfriend when I didn't. It didn't bother me. Uh, so, I mean, those little things. Uh, how they act, you know, are they always calling them, trying to find out where they are? And that's the thing with the cell phones now. They are constantly texting or calling, where are you, what you're doing? You don't owe a guy any explanation as a teenager where you are, where you're going, or who you're with. So those are some of the things, you know, you need to ask, who is that who keeps texting you? You know, but you have to have that relationship with your daughter, because if not, and you're asking them that question, then they think that you're not giving them that privacy that they need. And they do need some privacy, but you still need to be aware of what's going on. And you can learn that in those conversations that you're having with them. Uh, other thing is how is the guy when he's around you, if he comes to your house, you're looking at him, you're asking questions, but when he leaves, you can ask your daughter, is that the way he is all the time? Cause a lot of times they're quiet. Um, they don't want to say too much because they don't want you to pick up on anything as the mother. So, you know, those were things I looked for. Uh, and with my daughter's I have, I have a son that's in between my two girls. Uh, and so he would ask of my oldest daughter, he would ask the questions and I would just sit there and look at the guy to see how he responded. Uh, Cause he was very protective because we basically raised him the same way. It was like, uh, she had a guy that came over and he had a sports car. And so he asked him, was that his sports car? And he said, yes. And he says, how did you get it? Did you buy it or did your parents buy it? And he says, I bought it. And the first thing out of my son's mouth was, so you got a sports car? Are you a drug dealer? Because that looks like a really new sports car you got. And the guy just looked and he didn't know how to answer the question or anything. And so at that point, I was like, so how are you able to afford it? And so he said, he had put, he says, I worked. He says, and I put a down payment down and my parents gave me the rest of the down payment to get the car. I said, but who pays the monthly note? And he said, I did. And I asked, if you don't mind me asking, how much do you pay a month? And the price he gave me with the part-time job, there was no way he could afford that. 
So that was an issue for me. And I told my daughter, that's, that's an issue for me. How, how can he afford that? I say, is he a full-time student or does he work half a day, you know, go to school half a day where he could maybe work more hours? And she said, no, he's in school all day. And so we continued to watch, monitor, and come behold, he was a drug dealer. Wow. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and I, I think it's important to, I guess, pay attention as parents yeah. and have those conversations, but not from a place of attack. Because right. then that might actually make them get more closer to the person when you're trying to prevent them. But I think it was one of those things where you said, I monitored, I paid attention, I asked, you know, certain questions. And not to mention that there was always, that was, there was a trust that was always, that was cultivated, it seemed, between you and your daughter and even your son. Um, and so that's what, that's what it seems to be. And so I think it's important and safe to say, and it all goes back to, um, something that you keep saying, and it's having that communication. And I want to ask this question, like, how can parents create that safe space then? Because I know for me, I didn't talk to my parents like that. You know, um, I didn't, I'm gonna be honest with you, not on that level. I did not, but we want to change that. We want to have these more open, more transparent conversations without shame, right? Without guilt. Um, and, and I believe it starts in the four walls of our homes. And so how can parents, what can parents do to create this space and, 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 you know, to even have the conversation or to even start it? Uh, the younger, the better. Uh, mm. set time aside to spend with your daughter doing things that they enjoy when you do stuff like that you opened up a whole new world of being able to converse with them uh, like I said my oldest daughter was advanced and everything and there were times when you know when you have other small kids it's hard to give everybody that individual time but for me with her since she was advanced she caught on rather quickly and all one day a month, what I would do is I would go pick her up from school early. And mm -hmm. when I pick her up early, it was when she got in the car, what is it you want to do? Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, I'm game. And so we would go and we would do things. And, you know, I learned so much from her where it enabled me to be able to ask different questions, because a lot of times we feel as though. I'm the parent. It ain't nothing you can teach me. Yes, it is. Because mm. that engage, that gets them engaged because now you're asking them things and they're like, oh, mama didn't know that. And they get excited about telling you this stuff. But then you can add your questions in there. You know, hey, now when I was, when I was a teenager, we ain't do that. What are they going to ask? Well, what did y'all do? <laughs> yeah. And now you're talking. And then, you know, you can always add if something comes up. Well, now, if that should happen to you, I want you to come and talk to me about it. I don't care because we're going to work through it. To give you an example, my granddaughter is 15 years old. She spent about a month with me this past summer. Her and her parents were not talking. They really wasn't getting along. She spent a lot of time in the room. She loves those electronic devices and everything. And I get it. And so it was like, I got to get her to open up. I want her to open up because she used to be so outgoing and everything. And now she just want to have her head in that phone that she has. And so 
I turned around and we were talking and I asked her one time, I said, what is it that you're listening at? I said, what are you on the phone doing? She says, I'm on YouTube. I say, so what are you listening at on YouTube? And she says, oh, you wouldn't like it. I said, well, how do you know I won't like it if you don't tell me and expose me to what it is? And so she says, I like K-pop. And so I looked at her and I was like, what the heck is K-pop? Mm-hmm. And she explained it to me and all. And I was like, oh, I say, so that's the music you like? I say, is it something like Beyonce? She says, no, nanny, it's not. I says, okay. So we were in the car going somewhere and she had her earbuds in. She was listening. I was like, what are you listening to? She says, my K-pop. I said, well, let's hook it up and let's, let me hear it. She says, you're not going to like it. I said, you don't know that. <laughs> We played it and I actually did like it. And we were in there, we were dancing and all. I told her, I said, I don't know none of the words, so I can't sing with you. I said, but I'll dance with you. So we were dancing in the car. And she started telling me other things that she liked, the type of uh, clothing that she liked and all. And she was like, oh, and my daddy, he, he don't want this, want this. But that enabled me to go to my son and say, hey, you need to do this, this, this. I'm not telling you this to break any confidence. And what she said to me, I said, because there's some things we talked about that you will never know. But with this, this is what you need to do. You want her to come to you and talk to you. This is what you need to do. And mm-hmm. so then there was another occasion. So she says, uh, I asked her, I says, let's watch a movie together. And she says, do I have to? I said, well, I would like you to. I said, have you ever seen Freaky Friday? She said, no. She says, what kind of movie is that? I say, it's a movie about a mom and daughter who don't get along and they change places. So I don't really want to look at it, Nana, but if that's what you want to do, we'll do it. So I put the movie on and she had her phone and she'd look up at the movie and she'd do her little phone thing and I didn't say anything. And finally, one of the portions of the movie caught her attention. And she was like, oh my God, I could never be in my mom's spot and do that because her mom just graduated from nursing school and she's a nurse and she says oh no I say so what would you do she says I don't know but I can't go to no hospital taking care of no people Uh uh-uh and she says and my mom cannot be me at school I say why I say your mom was cool I say she was a cheerleader and everything when she was in school and all she says "Uh uh-uh she says, my mom's outgoing I'm not that outgoing people will think that I have lost my mind when I get my body back But when her mom came to pick her up, she says, mom, let's watch Freaky Friday together. And they actually sat there and, you know, they were talking, they were having conversations. And my son has even said, she's different now. I can talk to her. So, I mean, sometimes we have to try those unconventional things. I may not have liked K-pop, but is it going to hurt me to share that moment with her? Right. Getting into their world um, as opposed to being so you know, sometimes as adults, if we can just be honest with ourselves and even going and look at our parents, you know, we love them. Um, they were, you know, amazing for some people. They may have some strife with their parents, but sometimes we pick up those same habits that we didn't like as children. And we do exactly what we say we don't like, but taking that moment and being intentional and saying, you know what, I'm going to get into their world. I'm going to get to know them and that builds the trust. It creates that safe space to have these types of conversations. Um, and I think that's kind of like where you're going with it, right? Right. You've got right. to create those moments with them. Because if they see that you're trying to understand, 
And you're not going to always understand why they like what they like. They don't understand why we do the things that we do. Right. So you have to have that common ground with them, you know, and be open and let them know, you know, I want to know what's going on with you. While I might not understand, while my opinion may not always be the same as yours, I want to hear what you have to say and I want to understand. And I had a saying with my kids, I want to know how you feel. You know, I I, I, I want to understand where you're coming from. Not that I will, but I want to try because I want you to know that your feelings aren't right all the time, mm-hmm. nor are they wrong, but you have a right to feel the way that you do. Right. No, that's, that's really good. Um, one of the things that I said at the beginning of the podcast was, you know, preparing our kids by being an example, by navigating relationships intelligently so they could have a blueprint on doing the same. And you mentioned early on was that your turning point was when, when he hit you in the car, it wasn't too far from your daughter and it could have been your daughter. And um, I know now that you, you are married and how long you've been married for? 38 years. Wow. So you've been married for 38 years. First of all, that's amazing. Um, Congratulations, um, you know, to 38 years. And so that blueprint that you've displayed in your marriage in terms of, I mean, that's one aspect of a relationship, but that's a very important one too. Um, Just because, you know, you all are in the same household, you know, you're, you know, kids mirror what they see. And so how intentional were you in the be- in the beginning? You know what I'm saying? So like, because you know, I've already been through this. I, this ain't, I'm not doing this anymore. And so how intentional were you um, in the beginning of this, of this relationship with your, your husband? Um, in the beginning, when we met, it was very difficult for me because I still had baggage. Mm. And so I, I was, we laugh about this now, but I was really ugly to him. I, you know, I had a wall. It was an issue. And gradually as the wall came down, when he asked me uh, to marry him, my first thought was, we've got to talk because we had dated for a year and he asked me to marry him. And I was like, we've got to talk. And he says, does that mean yes or no? I say, it doesn't mean either, but we've got to talk. And so there was things about me that I had going on that I still knew I I needed to change. I was working on. And we were commuting because my husband at the time was working for a company that did government contracts. So even though we dated a year, it was off and on because he would travel back and forth in. He might be gone for a month, then he come in for three or four days and then he's back out again. And so um, when he, when we sat down to talk, it was like, okay, we don't really see each other on a daily basis. So I need to tell you some things about me, you know, uh, this is how I am. It's not going to change. It won't change. I have no desire to change it. Uh, This I'm working on. So it depends on how the work go. This is how it's going to be. And I basically wanted him to understand 
how I was raw. I, I basically, as I say, got naked with him. And it was like, and I, I, I know I've noticed this about you. And I've noticed this. And is this the way it's going to be all the time? Or is that something you're working on? I had to have those conversations because I had to know. And we talked and after the conversation, it was like, yes, I'll marry you. And he says, okay, so are we going to set a date? I said, not yet. And we set a date, I guess a few months later for a year out. And all of a sudden I told him, I said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I, I, I need, I need more time. And actually we stayed engaged for about maybe two years. We got engaged in uh, 82 and we did not get married until 84. Mm -hmm. So there were things that I needed to, to work out on me. Even uh, my oldest daughter, she was like, I mean, she was head over here for him and he with her. And that was another thing for me. Um, it was, what happens? I say, because she really cares about you. She, she had even started calling him daddy. Um, he enjoyed it. He did things for her when he would come in. His first day was always spent with her. Um, mm. And then he would spend, we would spend a day as a family. Um, and then it was a day just for us. So, I mean, he made sure everybody got the attention and everything, but my thoughts came back to my daughter. And so one of the questions to him was, what happens to the relationship you've built with her? If you all don't work out. It happened to us. Mm. And he was like, it's about her. And it's about her growth. Uh, it's about her having a positive role model in her life. And if that's what I've become, then that's what I'll stay. He says, but only if you allow it. He says, mm -hmm. it's going to have to be you to tell me that I can. Mm -hmm. And that meant a lot to me that he was still willing, even if something should happen, whether we did get married, uh, whether we got married and divorced, that he would be that constant. And uh, she asked him to adopt her and wow. I was very hesitant about that. Uh, and it took me about a year or so to actually agree um, to allow him to, to adopt her. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it was just a process for me because like I said, I didn't want to repeat certain things and I didn't want her to have to endure those things. And I told her why, you know, I was like, well, I don't know. We, we need to wait. We need to see how this is going to work out. Um, but it's worked out well. Yeah, clearly. You all have been together 38, married for 38 years. And, um, you know, your your daughter and your, your kids seem to have a, you all seem to be a very close-knit family. And so I, I believe it's safe to say that things have worked out. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but oh, no, you, no you definitely were intentional about you know, changing the blueprint on, you know, relationships for yourself so that your daughters can see as well as your son can see, you know, what that looks like and what that consists of. I I, I love that. Um, I wanted to um, ask you a question in regards to 
to boys, because I think that's a part of um, dating abuse that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, and even though studies show that women, um, you know, experience it more men or boys, I would say in terms of teens, um, teen boys experience the same or some of it as well. Um, how can, I mean, does this still apply to boys as well in, in regards to that? Um, because I, I mean, I have a son, he's 20 now, but you know, in, in terms of just having these conversations, you know, being open to that, you know, them, them dating and what that looks like for them. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of that? Uh, basically the same. It can yeah. apply to boys because I mean, it's the example that you said. Uh, I say a lot of times the reason why we do the things we do as parents is because the example we had was the parents we had. Not saying the way they did it was right or wrong. It was just what, the way we learned it. Right. We're in a different time now. So we have to think differently. But our children's blueprint will be what we establish. They're learning through what they see us do. So if uh, a boy sees that his mom may be overbearing with the husband and the husband just lets her do whatever, then, you know, that's the type of woman he's going to be looking at. He's going to be comfortable with that. And that may not resonate with him. You know, there are women who saw their moms beat their dads. I mean, you know, dad may have never hit them back or whatever the case may be. And it could be because of anger issues and things yeah. that they're holding on to. So, you know, I don't want people to get this misconception that it's only women who get abused, men get mm -hmm. abused. And it may not necessarily be physical, but it could be mental. Oh, you ain't no good. Mm -hmm. Definitely yeah. verbal. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what most, guys deal with more so not that they don't get the fizzle because some do I know one who does uh but most of the time it's that that mental that emotional abuse that uh we as women can inflict on them mm. and that's good and that can shatter their confidence and constantly deal with unhealthy relationships too and unfortunately um it's almost minimized because it's this thing of you're a man and you know men don't go through that but we already know that that's a, that's not a, a, it does. Um, and a, lot a of fact. It causes them to, to seek alcohol, just to have their own little solace at peace or uh, even drugs in some instances, because, you know, that's the way that's their getaway. That's their escape because, you know, they can't have peace in their home because it's like nothing they do is, is right. So, you right. know, they through it too. No, that's good. I love that. And so I got like two more questions and we're going to close out. And so I know one of the things that you mentioned was about when I asked about creating that safe space and we were saying getting into their world. Um, but if this is brand new, like fresh for a lot of parents where they may be thinking right, like thinking right now, like, wow, you know what? I've never really had deep conversations. What are like your top three simple but tangible things that they can start doing today to really, you know, create that safe space? Like what type of communication methods that they can do or have with their child? One of the things you can do, which is simple, just for a minute, 
watch your daughter, the things that she likes, or, you know, just one, one easy way is ask her, can I make an appointment for us to go and do something? Because now you're valuing her time. You know, she wants to spend time with her friends, but I just wanted to be me and you. We can go do anything you want to do. If you want to go shopping, uh, you might have to put a limit on that. You know, we ain't spending no more than a hundred dollars, but you know, let's go shopping. Is it a movie you want to go see? I just want to do something you and me, nobody else. Yeah, that's good. The average girl is going to love that. My mama want to take a day to take me shopping take me to a restaurant, you know, just give her some ideas and tell, think about it and then give me a day that you're available to go and do it and I'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. And during that time, you know, if it's a movie, just talk about the movie and the movie can engage that conversation or whatever. Um, another way is to Ask them about, you know, if they're sitting on their phone all the time, like I did with my granddaughter. Hey, what are, what are you looking at? Is it okay if I look at it too? I want to see what you're over there looking at all the time. But don't make it seem like you're trying to be nosy. Because when I did it with my granddaughter, I was like, hey, what are you over there looking at? And right. she told me, you know, make it fun. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just curious. Is it something that I can see? Because if they tell you no, then now, okay, we got something. Why can't I see it? But you can't act that way because they're never going to let you in, you know. Uh, but, you know, make it fun or something, you know. Uh, have them help you cook in the kitchen. Say, how about coming in and helping me cook? Would you like to learn how to cook? That was another way I used to get my granddaughter. She loves chocolate. <laughs> so I, that's my fault, but mm-hmm. she loves chocolate. So. My thing with her was, I've got this recipe to make chocolate bark, peppermint bark. Do you like peppermint bark? She says, I've heard of it. She says, but I this is with chocolate. I love it. So I taught her how to make it. It was like four ingredients, took us about 30 minutes to do it. And we talked during that time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just those little things. Right. Yeah, that's good. It's just to build that that trust and that, that, that new reputation. Um, and, um, I, I love that. And I think it's important for, for those who are listening to, um, take inventory of the dynamics of you all's relationship right now. Um, is it two people passing by, um, you know, or is it you all really having a conversation or are they surface? And if they are, there's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, you know what? I realize that we don't spend enough time together and we don't talk as much as I would like us to. Um, And even ask them, what do they want from you? Right. What is it that you can do to support them? Absolutely. Um, And I think even though we might think that doesn't work, but what happens is I believe in this case as parents, because we are the adults, let's be the initiators and the pursuers. And eventually they will act on our pursuing they just may need to look at and find that you're consistent and you're serious and so um Sandra I appreciate you you coming by and and talking about this and I and I and I say that because a lot of things do start in our youth and I think it's important for us as parents to really you know ask ourselves are we you know consciously preparing our teens 
in terms of, you know, healthy relationship building um, and even just building up that self-worth and that self-value um, of our own so that we can navigate these relationships personally as well as professionally. How can people find you out here in these social media streets? <laughs> That's what I tell oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn, Sandra J. Golden. And Sandra is spelled S-A-U-N-D-R-A. Uh, and like I say, Jay Golden. Uh, and, you know, you can also always go to my website and that's sandragolden.com. So. All right. Okay. Um, any final words that you want to say before we close out? Yes. One thing, just remember the same way that your daughter or your son needed you when they were a toddler, because they totally depended on you. They need you that same way. They need that same attention right now even though they may act or show you that they don't deep down inside, they really do. They still want to know that you're there for them, you care for them, and that you're going to have their back no matter what. Absolutely. And I don't think they get old no matter how old you are. I, <laughs> but I think that is so accurate. Thank you so much, Sandra. I appreciate you, um, you know, for being here. And I know that this information will be very beneficial to, to, to parents that's out here listening today. So you take care and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.